there, human beings, demons of the cosmic hierarchy, and overall saints and martyrs. My name is Nathra, and although I can't technically address the gods because that'll only fuel everyone's god complex, including my own. Just kidding, I don't have a god complex. So, Ravana, that's why you're here. You are here to ridicule me for choosing a topic like this when I could pick anything in the universe to research about for a final project in an English class. How fun. Well, I don't know why I chose it. Um, maybe it was the ambivalence of the character itself, or how fascinating mythology was to me as a diasporic Hindu. Um, anyways, I'm getting sidetracked, and I've probably already made Mr. Bear a laugh, if I'm lucky, but probably not, so I'm going to assert my comedic capabilities shortly. Okay, so basically, our lovely half-demon, half-Brahmin Ravana was born to the grandson of Brahma, the creator god. His father's name was Visrava, and he was this learned sage. So Visrava was forced to marry Kaikesi or Nikasa because she bewitched him with her beauty. And here's a reminder that beauty only goes skin deep because Kaikesi's father was the king that made Ravana evil in the first place. So Ravana was born with two brothers and one sister. His brothers were Kumbhakarna, a supersized, supermuscular demon who slept for three quarters of the year, and this is not an exaggeration, and Vibhishana, a demon, but a warrior with a pure mind and good intentions. Ravana's sister's name was Shurpanaka, and she was just as much of a demon as he was. So our lovely Ravana goes through the motions of childhood, mastering the Vedas and the art of war from his father, while simultaneously getting trained secretly in how to be a demon 101 from his mom's dad. And basically, after becoming a demon as a side gig, our lovely Ravana decided to overtake the kingdom of Lanka, because his half-brother Kubera, the god of wealth, was such an amazing ruler, and Ravana needed whatever Kubera had because originality. No, just kidding, he wanted to be powerful. So he got a boon from his great-grandfather, the literal god of creation, and overtook Lanka. So basically, Ravana ruled over Lanka for a bit, and then realized that, like most high school relationships, he wanted more. So he decided to, you know, trek across Mount Kailash, home of Lord Shiva. Yep, the same one you learned about in sixth grade social studies class, the destroyer. And basically, Ravana, being the narcissistic, egotistical person he was, decided to, you know, make fun of Shiva at his literal home. See, I'm an overly nice, indecisive Libra, so I'd have let it go, but Shiva is a god. He spent time meditating, and when his penance was disrupted and his wife was scared, he lifted his pinky toe and went sheesh and trapped Ravana under Mount Kailash for a thousand years. So Ravana screamed bloody murder, and he became known as Ravana because his scream was probably a million decibel levers, levels higher than Mariah Carey's whistle notes and Ariana's combined. So after spending a thousand years under Mount Kailash, casually ripping the sinew from his arms and chopping off his ten heads and having them grow back, Shiva decided to let him out because he was understandably impressed by both Ravana's dismembering talent and his devotion to the Lord. He gave Ravana the Atmalingam, or the soul of Shiva, and even though you technically couldn't become immortal, despite how many ever gods you prayed to for however long a time, Shiva gave Ravana the nectar of immortality, which he stored in his navel. More on that later. So basically, after pledging his life to Shiva on the basis of tangibility, Ravana went home and married Mandodari, 
she became part of the Panchakanya, which is basically this group of five super powerful women whose names, when said, are said to dispel sin. So Mandodari gave Ravana children, and the star child Indrajit defeated Indra, the king of the heavens. He was also the only person in the world to hold all three supreme weapons of Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva at the same time. Daddy issues got him killed, but otherwise he was an amazing warrior. After that, Ravana learned about Rama. So fun. This is where the meaty stuff begins. Rama had everything Ravana wanted and more, so he was like, I'm going to eat out of here and find that guy, and he did. Coincidentally, Rama was in his final year of exile because of some complicated familial issues, and this isn't a project on Rama, but that stuff is super interesting as well. Highly recommend you check it out. Anywho, basically, a long, long time ago, when Rama's wife Sita's dad was holding a swayamvara, or like a, a giant mar- marriage contest, like... Um, there's several contestants, several men looking as to be worthy suitors of one woman, and the only way to win Sita's heart in this case was by lifting Lord Shiva's bow. Nobody could ever do it. It was insane, it was heavy, it was massive. And Ravana, when it was his turn, he managed to hold it up for like a, a second and then he had to drop it because it was massive and heavy. But of course, our lovely hero Rama swooped in to save the day and found himself a wife. So Ravana was a little more than annoyed. So think of it like high school politics. The super popular, intelligent, sporty guy asked the perfect girl out to prom with the perfect promposal before the slightly less popular, intelligent, sporty guy that scares everyone does. Not like Hindu mythology's high school, but still. So Ravana had a sister. Um, you know about Shurpanika, she fell in love with Rama's brother Lakshmana and she went to ask him to marry her. So Lakshmana, who was known for his rash ability to make decisions, he didn't just reject her, he chopped her nose off. I mean, talk about rejection. So Shurpanika runs off in hysterics to visit Brother Dearest and he gets mad, he gets furious, the smoke comes out of his ears, he's probably extremely close to the tipping point and screaming bloody murder once again. So he wants to kill Rama and Lakshman and the whole entourage, he wants to bring down the whole operation but is persuaded by Madhicha, this other demon, to think otherwise. So Ravana plots a plan and basically decides to disguise Madhicha as a golden tear making Sita want it, making Rama get it, and Ravana would make a sound. So Lakshmana would get startled and think something happened to Rama, so Sita would be left alone and unprotected. All of this so that Ravana could swoop in on his floating house, Vimana, and skedaddle out of there with his enemy's wife. Talk about revenge! Long story short, the plan worked. Rama and Lakshmana were beside themselves. Sita was in Lanka, guarded by Ravana's all-female national guard, and it was up to the heroes to save the day. Meanwhile, the significance of the scene is such. We got to see Ravana's demonic side, but we also got to see his loyalty and his love for his sister. In many ways, the whole Rama versus Ravana thing wouldn't have happened if Lakshmana had kept Shurpanaka's nose attached to her face. So, the moment Rama and Lakshmana bring a whole army of monkeys, known as the Vanjas to fight at Lanka, things get heated, and I'm going to skip the whole Sugriva and Vali situation, Jatayu's tragic death, Lankini, Hanuman, and the Sanjeevani mountain, but yada yada blah blah. This isn't a Ramiki Valmiki... My goodness, can somebody come rescue my English today? This isn't a Valmiki Ramayana situation, it was a Ravana situation. So, basically, following the whole situation... Um, Rava and Ravana meet, and there's a seven-day battle where they fight. 
seven days. I mean, I can't even get through one day without procrastinating and messing up my English, but these guys are out here fighting each other for seven days? Anyway, so after six days of a lot of war, Rama remembers the advice of Bhishna, so Ravana's brother, the one who always wanted to be on the side of right, and who supported Rama in bringing back his wife. He was humiliated by Ravana when told, um, and he told Ravana that he should return to Sita because it was the right thing to do, and Ravana just yeeted him from his court. So the Bhishna, in an effort to correct his brother's wrongs, tells Rama about the nectar of immortality, and Rama, being the excellent archer he is, on the seventh day of the battle, shoots Ravana in the navel, right in the nectar of immortality. So Ravana flies backwards with such a force, it's enough to knock him around the earth and circle it before coming to a halt and falling to the ground. So Rama actually sends Lakshmana to get Ravana's um, wisdom and knowledge as he lays dying, but since Lakshmana's ego comes into play and he um, is unable to return to get the information that he needs, he returns knowledgeless. So Rama actually goes and stands at Ravana's feet and gets the information he wants by being respectful. Spoiler alert, you can be respectful and get the things you want. So as Ravana's dying, Shuka, his messenger, gives Rama a rock filled with his last words. So Ravana tells Rama that although he is human now and will not realize his true identity due to human ignorance, he is an incarnation of Lord Vishnu and part of the Dashavataram. So Ravana tells Rama that Sita was in fact a proxy of Lakshmi and he wanted the goddess of prosperity in his kingdom. We can see instances of this in the Puranas as well with the stories of Jaya and Vijaya and other kings, but I'm not going to touch on that because that's more complicated Hindu mythology that I do not have the time or energy to understand since this is due in 10 days. So we learn everything Ravana did was in an effort to pay revenge to those who hurt his sister. He was given a Brahmin funeral with the Vedic rites of his birth. Throughout Valmiki's Ramayana, we learn about the literal dichotomy of Ravana's story. We see his good, his moments of absolute right, where for a second he becomes the protagonist of the story, but we also see his evil, his pure, unadulterated bad, everything he'd done to hurt everyone in his life. We see a father, a son, and an excellent warrior, but we also see a demon and an impulsive, calculating, manipulative commander. So what is the dichotomy of Ravana, you ask? What classifies him as evil? What makes good good and bad bad? Those are the questions that I asked myself when researching. Those are what drew me to this character for this project. And I do know now that it is people like Ravana that make history complicated and fascinating. People like Ravana teach us that life isn't black and white. There's a good deal of gray when deciding character and varying shades of the spectrum as well. So I hope you enjoyed this. This is going to come to a close right now. I don't think that um, anything can adequately sum up Ravana as a character. He is such a complex character filled with emotion. And I hope you enjoyed this informative comedic relief. Um, I hope my sense of humor was just a teensy bit satisfying. I tried to emulate some of my favorite comedians, but to no avail, because I am not funny. I get it, but it's five points for me to make Mr. Barra laugh, so I'm hoping that I've made him laugh once in this seemingly endless time of speech. I hope you learned more about Ravenous ambivalence as a whole. 
Thank you for listening.